When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Welcome into the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast. I'm John Zanis filling in for Nick Cattles, and this, of course, is Greg Bedard. What's up, Greg? Hey, what's going on, John? Not much. Uh, not much at all if you're the – well, quite a bit if you're the Patriots. Uh, they, <laughs> they lost Nick Casario. We'll talk about that. Uh, he went to the Houston Texans. Uh, a loss. We'll talk about how big a loss. Uh, could be some other personnel shuffling as well. well. Talk about the future of Josh McDaniels. Podcast, as always, is brought to you by betonline.ag. And as always, we want you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We're going to remind you that several times throughout, but we want to get into it first. Greg, before we talk about Nick Casario, it looks like you're stirring the pot a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> you, you've gotten yourself... Evidently. Yeah, you've gotten yourself in a bit of trouble. Uh, and... Uh, it's Chase Winovich. You've upset Chase Winovich. Do you feel bad about that? <laughs> it's, it, it comes with the territory, especially it comes with, with the territory. Yeah. yeah. So anybody who's listened, uh, all of you here, read Boston Sports Journal. You listen to this podcast. You follow Greg Bedard. You know that he's been critical. And Greg, you've been critical of Winovich all year. A bit of a freestyler, maybe a showboater, some vibe that... Uh, there's people on the team who think he's kind of a me guy, you, you know, yamming it up. I, I know one of uh, one of your uh, readers sent you photos of him kind of posing for cameras and this and that. And so there's been issues throughout the year and you've written about it a, a few times. But uh, apparently uh, something you wrote a couple of days ago uh, came across uh, or was presented to him uh, in a radio interview and he responded. He wasn't too happy about it. But first, why don't you uh, read what it is that you wrote about him and elaborate a little bit on it, and then we'll play the clip from Winovich. Okay, so you're absolutely correct. I've been critical of him all year, and I'm not critical of players unless I have reason to believe that. And and uh, I wrote about him, uh, I'm looking November 17th, I wrote Chase Winovich states his case with a monster game, but will Bill Belichick ever really trust him? And I went into sort of a deep dive on chase and it was about at that time it was about people couldn't figure out all right well he's playing well he rushes the passer well why isn't he playing more and people just couldn't figure that out so it was that that story was about that this story was it was basically my breakdown after the uh the jets game that i do at bostonsportsjournal.com uh for those of you who aren't members um i don't like you very much um but uh just to give you a taste of what what you get over at BSJ is you get deep dives from me off of every game where I rate um, all the positions and, um, you know, insight that you won't get any place else. And so for this one, I didn't really write on the game because who cares, but I decided to use this opportunity to look at, get an update on where some of the younger players stand going into 2021. And some of it was my own observation from the film, from this game, from the season. Some of it, though, was also from, uh, let's just say, well-informed stuff. Uh, sources. You've heard, yeah, yeah that that know what they're talking about, and uh, so for Chase Winovich, he was the guy I led off with because he did have he had another monster game against the Jets. They let him play uh, more, and he was great. He was my player of the game in the game, and I thought he was tremendous. So this is what I wrote about Chase: had a monster game against the Jets, which we also saw earlier in the season. In between. Just a sub-rusher role. Why? Because he can't be counted on on a down-to-down basis to do his job on the edge, and I'm not sure the team will ever trust him to do that. He's almost certain to have competition at the position next year. There's also the issue of his mouth, which is a concern internally because he rarely thinks he's wrong and is a bit of a locker room lawyer. 
in parentheses, I wrote, sounds like someone around here who writes about football, meaning me, almost like it takes one to know one. Uh, I floated moving him to inside linebacker, but that has been shot down because, because of the lack of faith he will consistently, uh, because of the lack of faith that he will consistently do the right things within the scheme. And so Zolak and Bertrand's show asked Chase about that. We have the audio. Okay, so I'll play it for you now. Uh, this was uh, with Mark Bertrand asking Chase Winovich about what Greg Bedard said about him. Are you aware of Greg Bedard's report in the last couple of days about you and your status with the team? I mean, that was kind of – yeah, I'm aware of that. That was a little com- – I mean, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I mean, that's we a little com- – that, Yeah. <laughs> So we're here for. I, first off, I don't even know who yeah, Greg Bedard is. And secondly, I, I don't really – I'm not exactly sure why he's slandering my name in that sense and, and making it seem like, uh, you know, there's I'm, I'm a problem or, you know, I, I really was a little confused. He doesn't even quote anonymous people. He just, he just speculates on rumors and, and stuff he's heard. I, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a little – uh, unfair, but you know, hey, people are allowed to have their own opinions, and uh, that's part of the whole, you know, control what you can control. Um, you know, I, I try to operate every single day from the mindset, you know, I'm going to be the best human I can be, the best human I can be, uh, you know, and treat the game and you know, just everything around me with respect. So I don't know, I don't know who's making. Uh, you know, saying these things to him, or if he even has a real informant, or if he's just making it up. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's pretty cheap journalism. Wow. So first off, I don't I don't believe him, Greg, because everybody knows who Greg Bedard is. Number two. <laughs> well, actually, that, yeah. <laughs> number two, you're well, not I'll making it up. You're, you're not ta- making it up. You're 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 not just going to say something. Uh, you heard it. Uh, obviously, nobody wants to hear that. I mean, this is the game that gets played uh, when people have unfavorable things said about them from an anonymous source it's easy to say in this world we're living in that it's fake news it's made up there's no reason to make this up i don't think you gain anything from saying that chase winovich uh is a locker room lawyer or any of the things you're hearing it from people who are giving you the information and you're simply reporting it but your thoughts on what he said uh yeah well let's sort of take a piece by piece number one he doesn't know who i am that a that does not surprise me um because I am not uh, there. Let's say, let's say I'm not omnipresent on Zooms um, yeah. with the media. Uh, you know, I I'm not on them a lot. Um, I don't ask a lot of questions, um, and I you know I'm not one of these reporters who tries to develop a relationship with every player on the team. I certainly have relationship with with players on the team, but a lot of times, uh, John. Um, I go out of my way to avoid relationships with players on the team for this reason that, that so I can observe and criticize them and not have any thoughts about like, well, is he not going to like me anymore or this or that? Cause I've been, I've been burned by that too many times in the past Right, that you try to get close to uh, a player and they turn on and, and you, you know, you think you have their confidence, but as soon as something bad happens, they turn on you. And so I just try to, as much as possible, I try to, uh, stay at arm's length so that I am free, that I have no feelings about a player personally. And that's why, you know, I don't, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, do do off-field work with a player and things like that. So sure. that that does not surprise me. I've certainly asked Chase questions and uh, we've certainly had discussions, but um, having a personal relationship with the players is not something that I've ever cared about. And in fact, I try to, I, I go out of my way to avoid um, secondly, um, <laughs> slander is a, uh, that's a very strong, <laughs> that's a very strong ac- accusation, uh, from Chase and, and, you know, as far as what he talks about with, um, you know, he, there's no anonymous sources in there. So, you know, whether it's his opinion or whatever, um, let me just say this, uh, I don't write anything that strongly on a player um, unless I get it from good sources. And I do not put, I do not source a lot of my information because I don't want people to know like real, especially when covering the Patriots, you have to be very careful about covering your tracks 
on where you're getting stuff because there are people there in the building whose part of their job is to root out sources. Yeah. And I am not going to burn my sources and I'm not going to make it any easier to identify them. So oftentimes if, if I know, and this goes for not just about the Patriots, whether it's about the draft or the NFL, if I know the information that I'm getting is good from a source that I have a long history with, then I just weave it in as background. Um, I do not make it apparent where I'm getting it from team sources. And trust me, Belichick, you put team source in there. Um, that's gonna, that's gonna enable a lot of people inside the building. So, uh, so I do not put that in there. Um, the next thing that I wanted to say was, um, look, basically, basically my criticism of Chase Winovich, uh, which trust me is in line with the internal discussions about Chase Winovich are twofold. Number one, he has not risen to being an every down player at all. This season, he had a prime opportunity early on in the season. He did have a really good game early. I forget which game it was. Um, and then he did not play a lot. And everybody was wondering, why isn't he playing? Why isn't he playing? Right. He, he, that continued throughout the season. We, we have ended the season. Chase Winovich's role on this team was as a situational pass rusher. He was never an all every down player. That tells you everything you need to know right there about how the team views him on a linebacker deficient team. So he didn't yes. even need to be he he didn't need to be exceptional to be an every down player. He had to be passable because the other people they were putting in there in his stead were not pro bowlers by any means. So uh, no, he's playing behind John Simon, Shalik Calhoun when he's healthy. Brandon Copeland when he was out there, like he's playing behind a whole bunch of people. And right. that tells you whatever, whatever you see on the field, whatever role a player is used in on the field, that's where the coaches, Bill Belichick, especially on defense, Bill Belichick sees that player. And he, in, in his eyes, Chase Winovich never rose to an every down player. Why? I asked the question why, and what I've been told, and this is this, you can see this on film. He is not consistent on the edge. He can, he has not been, they do not have confidence in him that he is going to do the right things on an everyday, every down basis. And so that's where that comes from. Number two, as far as his personality, certainly I've noticed things. Um, there was, you know, mugging for the camera and that was for uh, Adam, Adam Richens who shoots for us. Oh, he's right. BSJ. Um, they, I, Every game I'm at, basically, I look to the sidelines after possessions. Oftentimes, Winovich is, is is in animated discussions with Gerard Mayo or somebody else. Most of the time, it's Mayo. We saw him earlier on in the season. There was a, I think, a penalty. Yeah, there was a penalty. And then all of a sudden, he comes off the field, and he's talking to Bill Belichick. And guess what? Chase Winovich is doing a lot of the talking. So that led me to ask certain people, what's the deal with Chase Winovich? Like every time I look to the sideline, he's talking to Gerard Mayo. And the response I get is that basically he's been a pain in the rear end. Now that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a future here. It doesn't mean that he's not a good football player. He just, you know, he's a different type of cat around here and that's fine. Maybe he opens up Belichick's eyes, but you combine his unreliability on the edge to this point, and who knows what he does next year. He's going to be probably going to be given the opportunity to do that. Or there's a possibility he could be traded where they just like, you know what? Enough of this guy. Let's trade him to a team where his upfield ability is, is, is a better fit. It's not a fit for us right now. Could happen. But, um, but for him and, and Chase is, is welcome to contact me anytime. If he wants to ask me any questions, um, any charges of this being clickbait or attention grabbing chase Winovich is not in the headline. Uh, this section was not, uh, available to anybody who doesn't subscribe to BSJ. This is just information for BSJ subscribers. So I did not do this to get attention. I do. I did this to inform my readers, which is what I try to do all the time, which is give them an accurate, uh, picture of where, Patriots players where the team is at this point in time. Um, so Chase is, look, I'm entitled to my opinion. Um, 
Chase is entitled to his opinion, but I could just tell you that my information is rock solid. It is accurate. And if he's, if he's not hearing this internally or he doesn't understand um, where he stands with the team and what he needs to work on and, and where they would like to see him better, then he needs to bring that up with his position coaches. But trust me, 100%, these are issues with the team. So if you're a fan right now, uh, your number one concern is, and you said you don't know what it holds, uh, but is he, you see the plays, you see the splash plays, you see a game like he had against the Jets, and uh, you see the pressures, you see a couple of sacks, and you think, oh, thank goodness we got one of those guys. Nope. Their really concern right now is, can Chase Winovich be an actual impact player on a team that has very few? So yep. do you think based on, the pain in the ass component and the lack of discipline that he can somehow overcome these things and be more than useful, an actual asset. I think so. And, and John, if, if I were the Patriots and I don't know what they're going to do and, and, but I can tell you they are going to have a lot more competition on the edge. Like the edge could be one of the places that they make a big splash in free agency. So, you know, somebody in the front seven. Right. Um, so he he is going to have competition next year. I can almost guarantee that. Um, but it, it, if I were on the Patriots, I just, I think he's so talented. And I do think, I think he's a, he was a really good draft pick. There were these concerns about him being a locker room lawyer and a millennial and a me type. And you see that. I mean, you know. He makes a sack and he's celebrating going off the field. He deflected a pass the other day and he's hitting his hands all the way off the sideline to make sure people know that he got a piece of that pass like this. That's fine. Like it's just, it's unusual for here, but I will say that I think he's, I think he plays extremely hard. I think he has, he's, he's, he's got a, a really good pass rush, a good feel for pass rush and the timing um, he chases down plays from the backside. Um, if I'm the Patriots, I am giving this one more go. And this, and, and also let's factor in that this was his second season, robbed of an off season where you're going to get a lot of coaching, not a lot of coaching on the field. Maybe that's what Belichick was talking about. How about how the virtual stuff just just did not match up to in person and on field time, which they lacked this year. Maybe he was talking about Chase. It could right. very well be the case where Belichick and Mayo and other people think, you know what, if we had that guy in our room and we're screaming at him in week three and on the field, maybe he gets it and he's better. If I'm them, I come to camp, I say, all right, I chalk up second season to COVID. He comes back next year. We get all the meetings, all the, all the practice time, and we try to harness it. And we see how it is in camp. And if he's not getting it, if he's not a three-down player for us, then maybe it's time to move on and and go in a different direction. But I think he's so talented. He's smart. He gives great effort. He's good at what he does. I think it is worth the investment for them to give it another real good go here in 2021. I think that's what they'll do, but who knows? Well, you could do a lot worse with a, with a third round, right? Third round pick? Yeah, you could do a lot worse with a third round oh, pick yeah. than a, than a very strong situational pass rusher. If that's all he yep. ends up being, that's True. still a win. So yep. that's fine. I think the 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 reason uh, it, it was highlighted this year his deficiencies is because they lacked depth. They lacked so much depth that you were hoping that well because of all of his physical gifts and his motor and his ability to do certain things really well, can he do more? And the answer this year. It turned out to be no. So, yeah, we'll see what happens going forward with Chase. We have a huge discussion to talk about here with the personnel shuffling. I think, Greg, uh, before we do that, let's take a pause, let everybody know at home about our sponsor, betonline.ag, and then we're going to get into uh, Nick Casario leaving and what it means for the rest of uh, the, 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 the Patriots personnel, whether anyone else is out the door. Uh, but, yeah, uh, fire away with, uh, with the sponsor. Yeah, Nick, there's, you know, there's a ton of great football coming up along with the other sports. I mean, you know, the Celtics uh, got a win last night. They're hot. College basketball's going on. You got the Bowl Championship Series, Ohio State and playoffs. Alabama. You have six NFL playoff games this weekend. I mean, I don't know if you about you guys, but 
I kind of want to get some money in on the action and have a little bit of fun myself. And there's the only the only place that has you covered. The only place that we trust is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code CLNS50 for your 50% off welcome bonus. Uh, We'll get into probably the lines on the games coming up. but you know, on the football game, you know the, the the one couple of the games that I'm looking from the lines on Bet Online, uh, Bills are favored by six over the Colts. I think that's a little rich. I know it's come down a little bit. Tampa uh, eight over the Washington Football Team and the Saints ten and a half over the Bears. Those are big spreads for opening weekend. Yeah, and 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 I think there's going to be a lot of action on those games. I think people should get in on it. I'm going to get in on it. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% off welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, and we are going to try to rip through picks at the uh, end of the show here, so we'll get back to it. And again, betonline.ag, the spread's obviously updated by the minute, so we'll pull those up and we'll we'll power through some of that stuff. Let's get to the Nick Casario departure. Uh, I guess question... Let's fold two into one. Did it surprise you? And again, people now know the story. Uh, The Texans hired a consulting firm to go through uh, the top GM candidate candidates out there. They came up with five, I believe, uh, or four. They came up with a list that Nick Casario was not on. And then Nick Casario got the job. So (laughs) how did... You know, and we know the we know about the Jack Easterby situation, and it certainly sounds like he made a massive play there. Uh, and we'll talk about how that factors into uh, Casario's Texans experience. But first off, on the Patriots side of things, how big a loss with this, and are you surprised that he that he left? What what led to it? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty big loss. I mean, you know, you lose twenty years of a guy who ran the personnel department and. Um you know, organized all that. And, and, uh, you know, and uh, look, he also helped with coaching. He was, he was in the coaching box on game days. He's on the field before the games. He, he helps out a lot in practices. So he was almost like personnel slash coach. So yeah, there's, there, there's a lot they're going to miss there. Um, you know, but look, uh, you know, it, it all depends on what's left after Nick. Now the, the big thing, what's interesting, John, is that, before Nick was leaving, and I don't know if this factored in, but, but before he left, I was hearing from people that Dave Ziegler, who was his assistant director of player personnel, right, uh, and Elliot Wolf, who's a scouting consultant this year, uh, former Packers assistant GM, Cleveland assistant GM, uh, Ron Wolf's son, uh, who came on with the Patriots this year. Uh, I had heard that those two names, Ziegler and Wolf, were going to be more pro- have more prominent voices going forward, and I didn't think to ask the question because I'm a moron. But at the time, Why? once that was over, and I'm typing, right. and I'm like, one, and once I heard Casario was leaving, I was like, wait a minute, that's weird. So, was Casario? Did he leave, or was he a little bit pushed out, or maybe? Uh, maybe freed up to leave. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer on that. Um, if Dave Ziegler is here, then I feel pretty good. Um, he is on the dance card with the Broncos, a team that he previously worked with. Uh, so the fear is that he's going to be named Broncos general manager. Uh, if that's the case, uh, <laughs> I have worked. Right. about the Patriots department. I mean, I, I think a lot of Elliot Wolf, uh, I go back a long ways because I, I covered the Packers way back when. I know Elliot. I know his talents. I know what he's capable of. I think he does have a very good eye for talent. But when you're talking about him all of a sudden ascending to the top of the Patriots personnel structure, if that indeed happens, uh, you're talking about a guy who's only been in the Patriots system for one year. And that includes, all right, well, what is, what's Belichick looking for? What's their grading system? And all of a sudden, you know, and all that entails. And now all of a sudden, Elliot Wolf is having to funnel that down to the scouts, the pro scouts, the college scouts, the other people, the cross checkers and things like that. And it's just, all right, well, how's that all going to work? It can't work well. I, I, if Ziegler leaves, Ziegler's plan A 
and hopefully that happens. And maybe with Casario leaving, maybe that entices him to stay. That's maybe. my question is, is the Broncos GM job more attractive than the Patriots GM job to him if he knew he well, had it? I mean, the thing is, it hasn't been a GM job since Pioli was here. And that's right. also part of the issue is, you know, Nick Casario was here. So Pioli left in 2009 or uh, January 2009 for the Chiefs. And first of all, Belichick offered a flowery uh, statement when Pioli left. So far uh, in three or four hours, there's been nothing from Belichick on, on, on Casario. So that's interesting. But that was a big thing with, with Casario here is Pioli got the vice president of player personnel title after one season as director of player personnel. Nick Casario was director of player personnel from 2009 on and never got the title. And so that's very much, if you look at the way he handles his coaches, you know, we all know uh, Bill O'Brien did not get the offensive coordinator gig for a year or two after he was here. Brian Flores, I don't think was ever technically defensive coordinator. Still no DC, right? Yeah. And there's still no DC. And, you know, McDaniels is offensive coordinator, obviously, but normally it's you don't get those titles unless you earn them in Belichick eyes. Now, is this semantics? Did Belichick just say, you know, we're, we're not doing the VP of whatever at, once PLA leaves? Um, you're And you're not a general manager because I'm the general manager. Right. Um, so maybe it's semantics. It could be. I don't know. But it's, it's just a long odd. time to dangle the carrot if it's going to be an incentive. You know, I mean, he was here yeah. long enough where – I don't know how much more you're going to earn. So again, whether it's semantics or a faith in his ability to do the job, or maybe they just viewed him as replaceable and, or as you said, wanted to get others more involved. If he got shoved out the door a little bit, it makes sense why he would take this Houston gig, which doesn't seem that great given everything that we've learned about it with the Easterby presence and having McNair's ear. It sounds messy over there. It doesn't sound like an awesome, obviously he was on there you know, the list last year and the Patriots didn't let him go, but. And the time um, before also that I learned the other day, they actually came for him before that as well. And Belichick also shot that down. Yeah. Right. So you've got, let's say if Ziegler is plan a and he holds, is he the guy you, and so you've mentioned before in terms of the player personnel and the evaluation, what Bill may be a little set in his ways at this point where he's overruling the, uh, what the scouts are telling him, what the personnel department is telling him uh, on players. And he's kind of going with his guys, whether it's uh, guys he's gotten recommendations from his college coaching buddies yeah. or whomever. And so y- you've talked about before on this podcast, and I know you've written about it, the need for that strong voice of someone who can say, nah, man, Bill, this is the guy you have to trust me on this. It, is Ziegler that guy? And if he's not that guy, does that guy exist? Or does Bill even want that guy? Yeah, it, it, it's all good questions. I don't have a really strong answer on, I don't know Ziegler that well. I don't know his personality. I do wonder if Casario not getting the VP or GM title had to do with the fact that maybe in his eyes, Belichick's eyes, that Nick never made a stand or he never became a strong enough voice to earn that title. Right. Maybe that was part of it. And and there is a lot of concern behind the scenes that that Casario was not a strong enough voice to counter Belichick at times and to basically like, you know, even though, you know, I've asked people, I've been like, well, you know, you know, like Bill going rogue on some picks uh, like early in last year's draft and things like that. And where the Patriots were, I think, Going into the draft, they wanted to target more offensive help early. And what does Belichick do? He spends the first three picks on defense. And I think I asked the question of somebody at the time. I said, well, is Nick, did Nick do anything? Is Nick going to do it? And they're like, what is it going to do? Tackle him? Like right. it's Bill. And so I don't, I, I don't know. I think Bill would like another voice. I don't know. I think he, maybe he wouldn't acknowledge that, but I think, I think, the Patriots definitely need somebody and maybe this, this comes into play with say a Pioli or Dimitrov or a Bob Quinn who they could recycle former Patriots personnel people who are out of jobs right now that could come in. I mean, Pioli certainly would be a strong foil to Belichick. 
uh, does is he interested in that after running his own ship? Does he want to come back and work for Belichick? But, I don't know. But beyond and, that, but, the recycling thing, Greg, the, the concern here would be, again, from anybody who's, uh, you know, and you've been critical of the drafts the last few years. Do you want somebody who's looking at things with with 2010 eyes you know as the game right. changes and uh as player evaluations change and what again the issue here seems to be belichick at the end of the day just having supreme faith in i know what a good football player is and you've said that before that guy's a football player i know it because i've done this my whole life and now the question is whether or not he's wrong more often than he used to be because he's not recognizing how the game has changed or what exactly you need to be successful, uh, you know, and, 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 and to draft impact players for which they lack. If you bring in an old guy who did it the old way, is there a fear that you're going back to that? You're staying in that system instead of moving forward. Wouldn't it be better theoretically to bring in a younger voice or a newer voice or someone who can look at things a little bit different way and count counter bill? I, 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 I just don't know that people would be super satisfied with it with with a with a recycled uh, version of a person who's been here before or, and or been out of the game for a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but I think that's more of a that's more of a sort of scheme type of thing. Like, do we want to evolve in certain areas, especially on defense, where you know, whatever we want to use, um, you know, we, we let's get back to three down guys instead of sure. just you know, role players and things like that. And, and really it's at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't really matter who they bring in, whether it's Scott Pioli or Thomas Dimitrov or it's Ziegler or, or Elliot Wolf. Bill's like it doesn't really matter because it's, it's bill and it's yeah. whatever bill. And, and the thing is, is, and, and I think I talked about it with Nick. I did last, uh, last podcast. If people want to listen to it, um, there is enthusiasm within one Patriot place that Belichick does realize what's going on that he needs to change or at least alter his way. And, and part of that thinking was changing up some of the voices in the personnel department. And so as of right now, it seems like things are going in, in the right direction. We'll just have to see how that goes. Okay. The other um, domino that some people thought would fall after Casario took the Texans job was, Oh, well, Josh is going to follow him out the door. And you're saying, no, that's definitely not happening. Yeah. However, there is a possibility uh, if Ziegler were to land somewhere, McDaniels maybe could be attached to him. Uh, but you also <laughs> wrote about Denver. Huh? <laughs> not not Denver. Denver. <laughs> you can cross that one up yeah. pretty quick. Uh, but you did write about that. Um, you know, it doesn't look like that's happening. He's not, it is so interesting for a guy like McDaniels who, is has been candidate one or two on so many coaching lists over the years for this year to not even be listed among top five candidates at any of the vacancies. And uh, you know, and, and and your thought here is the indie thing is still following around. That's, that's a ghost. That's not really going to go away, but also Patriots kind of down year certainly doesn't help that though. Matt Patricia did land a head coaching gig, uh, the year after the Patriots gave up 7,000 total yards in a Super Bowl. So uh, past performance doesn't always factor in. I have to think it's the indie thing more than yeah. more than anything that's that, that's really kind of poisoning the well here for, for, for I agree. Daniels. I mean, and, and it, it, there's a couple things at play here. Um, number one, yeah, the indie thing. It's and, 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 you know, also the offensive performance, like you said. And, and also part of the problem is with these coaching searches, especially there's a lot of teams that, uh, like, like say Jacksonville or, um, I'm trying to think, but, uh, mid Detroit, um, Houston just named a general manager, but some of these places outside of the chargers, they're also looking for general managers. And so when you don't have general managers sort of running the, the coaching search, you have the owners and the owners look for flashy objects. Who's great with offense right now. Who's the hot name, Blah, blah, blah. And right now that's not McDaniels because of, you know, what, what went on with the Patriots. I mean, I just find it ridiculous that Jason Garrett gets an interview with the, with the Los Angeles chargers and Josh McDaniels hasn't yet. Now there's also the thought around the league that they're trying to hit on either guys. They just want to give cursory interviews to like Garrett, like favors the agents and also 
the assistants that are in the playoffs right now, this is really the only time that they can talk to them. They want to get those guys first in the building. Maybe McDaniels would be part of the second wave. Also, there's a thought that once general managers are, are, are named and they have stronger voices, they know who the smart guys are and the, and the good candidates, and that includes uh, McDaniels. But there's no question that the indie thing uh, is hanging over a lot of this, and I understand that. I mean, to be brought to the altar, to basically have your – thinking that you have your coach for, you know, about a week or ten days and, and he's hiring coaches and then for him to go back – that's tough. I mean, but I know uh, McDaniel's has uh, has explained it to people, um, and I think that he definitely deserves a chance. I mean, especially, I mean, the Chargers' job is just perfect for him. And even you have uh, Justin Herbert, who, when asked after getting drafted uh, or during the draft process, like who's the coach that really stood out to you, it was McDaniel's. He, right. he was his favorite coach that he talked to during the interview process and he, and he really liked him. And like, I just, I just don't understand that. Like he, yeah. he, what's, what's more important than making sure Herbert is a, yeah. a, a elite level quarterback going forward to the franchise's success, nothing. So that alone should be worth an interview, but it is, it is interesting. That's not happening. Staying with the head coach thing. We had a report uh, thrown out there this week about Bill Belichick and uh, his compensation, and it's kind of gotten conversation going uh, that he's, you know, about what coaches are worth. Yep. Uh, and and someone speculated, okay, well, you know, this guy could get this and that, and it was, oh, well, Belichick makes way more than that. Uh, north of $20 million, maybe as much as $25 million. It's always been this great secret yep. about what Bill makes. And the debate of, is he worth it? And certainly coming off a seven and nine year where they missed the playoffs and a string of drafts that haven't been successful, you might be able to criticize for the first time ever Belichick, the GM and the coach as not living up to it. But every single year prior, it's really hard to make any sort of criticism that Bill hasn't earned every single dollar and then some. Yep. And this is a Patriots homer. I might argue that Belichick could be worth twice that in terms of his actual yep. value to the team's success. Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine... You could have put Belichick in any two-win team situation this year, the Jags or the Jets, and they probably win six or seven. Or if you swapped out coaching staffs entirely, and those teams win six or seven games, and the Patriots coached by Anthony Lynn win one or two. It's not ridiculous to think he's worth five wins a year. What's mm -hmm. that worth to you? A lot. So, But it comes into the uh, the ego, uh, the Tom Brady situation. Uh did Brady know Belichick was making more? Did that irk him? Did that lead to his departure? So a lot of conversation flowing off of this one kind of innocuous, uh, you know, thing thrown out there this week. But your thoughts on what Belichick makes and whether or not it, it could possibly ruffle some feathers? Yeah, I I have no problem with what Belichick makes. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you. He could pay be paid double. I mean, if Roger Goodell is making forty to fifty million dollars right. a year to operate the ATM machine, the guy. NFL, yeah. <laughs> Then Belichick is worth 25, 30 million easy. Yeah. Um, so I totally agree with that. And I also think what's interesting, because uh, we talked about on Felger and Maz, and I remembered more later that there's an anecdote in Mike Lombardi's book that says uh, that in Cleveland, and remember, this was Belichick's either he was going into his first season or coming out of his first season in, in Cleveland when he was six and 10 and never a head coach before, that he said about a left tackle. Paul Farron, who is from Cassett, by the way, uh, fun fact, um, NPU product, um, that Belichick said, I have a real problem with Paul Farron making more than me. And this is Bill Belichick, neophyte head coach. He's already thinking that way. Is it a stretch to think that after winning a Super Bowl or more Super Bowls that he wanted to be paid more than any other player on the team um, and maybe – perhaps had that written in his contract. I do not rule that out. And I think it's probably, in my opinion, likely. I don't have a problem with any of that. I don't. My problem would be when it came to Brady. And I think it was after 2015 or 20. It was one of the Ravens' losses. And he had that famous plane ride with Kraft. And Kraft said, look, uh, we're not going to pay 18 to 20% of our salary cap on a quarterback. Uh, so if you want to be here, you're going to have to take less. And Brady thought about it, and he said, okay, I'll do that. So, But if I'm Brady at the time, if I knew and I learned what Belichick made at some point in time, and he might have, 
uh, I would have an issue with that. That here but I am. But the coach doesn't against the cap, though. Why should that matter? The, the the eighteen to twenty the eighteen to twenty figure is because I need to be able to build the team around you, and I'm just not willing to go there. Belichick could make five. Belichick could make you know fifteen dollars an hour, and they could still make that case. I, I don't know that one has anything to do with I the other outside of ego. I, I know people will make that point. They'll say apples and oranges. I just disagree. When you're talking about the quarterback, I just d- disagree with that. It's one thing to pay him less than Belichick. It's another thing to say. For us to be good as a team, you have to take less. Well, why can't why can't Belichick take less? I mean, if if you believe like I do that everything is part of the budget and they're they're a business, I'm sure Belichick gets a Belichick gets a budget before every season. This is your budget, coaches, players, what have you. Yeah. Why couldn't Belichick take less one year to put more towards players when the Patriots are like if are there last is or among budget, the last place teams in cash spending for the past eight years like why but couldn't that's, that's if there is a budget though i mean there has to be i mean it's a business the crafts run businesses there has it to is, be a budget. It, it is and i mean look it's hard to make an argument that there isn't a budget because they don't spend to the cap most years uh and they've been kind of middle of the pack team so there's always a little bit of money left over there and if that is part of the reason uh that they're not willing to to get there because they pay so much to Belichick, then that, yeah, that would be a problem. Uh, but if they maxed out their cap and paid out as much as they could in salaries, I don't think it matters. Yeah, but I mean, I, I get that. But my, my main point is like, look, if you're asking Tom Brady right. after being the quarterback for three Super Bowl wins and it, it gets in the whole, you know, who was more like, you know, who, who weighed more. And I think we all have come down on, they both needed each other. Yep. And so they both should have been sort of partners in that. And that sure. includes pay. I mean, I, I that's just something I believe. I'm sure people will disagree with it. But, I mean, they didn't need to be paid the same. But there's no way that Brady, who was still in his prime, should be asked to take a pay cut to bail out, I don't know, maybe Belichick's personnel failings. And Bill Belichick gets to make $25 million a year. Like, I just – I don't think that's fair – I don't think Brady thought that kind of stuff was fair. And I think his salary definitely factored in the thing. I mean, he didn't make over 20 million in any season until his last season where basically he put a gun to their head and said, I'm not getting on a plane to Tennessee for this preseason game unless you pay me more money. So let's do it. So, you know, what have you? Yeah. So that's the Belichick discussion. We do want to, we got to move along a little bit yep. uh, and get to our uh, Boston Sports Journal uh, question of the day. Um, so, uh, first off, I want to tell you check out BSJ. 11 cents a day is the annual plan. Not only do you get top notch analysis of all Boston pro sports, if you're a Patriots junkie uh, and you're listening to this podcast, which you are, uh, then a membership of BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis from Greg uh, on the coach's film, directs access to him in weekly chats. So again, uh, the if you're watching here on video, the link is on the screen. Uh, go to that, subscribe today. And of course, as always, rate and review the podcast. Now, question of the day, this is GC in DC, and it looks like it's a two-parter, Greg, um, or two questions. So uh, what will Houston have to do uh, to attract star coaching talent if Easterby is allowed to stay? And again, we talked about this a little bit, that the Easterby situation is a weird one over there. Um, and then does New England need a fresh perspective on on scouting and player evaluation? We covered each of these a little bit earlier in the pod, but again, just your thoughts on uh, the Easterby situation and how it's kind of muddying the waters in Houston there for Casario. Yeah, I just I wanted to answer that question just because I, I think people are talking about it, and I just wanted to get to it real quick that, um, you know, I, I think fans have a tendency to overrate a lot of things. And, and look, Nick Casario is not going to Houston to take that job. He he's he's no idiot. Nick Nick is very smart. So I'm sure uh you know from the people I've talked to, complete control over football operations is part of the deal with Casario there. So the coaches can say, "Oh, well, what about Eastbury? What it, it doesn't matter." Nick can say, "Look, I'm I'm the guy in football ops. Easterby has nothing to do with this. He's only going to do character stuff." I'm the guy I'm hiring the coach and plus coaching talent. I mean, you know, they're going to go for Nick and then the rest of the coaching talent is all about the head coach. So they're not going to worry about um, Easterby. And plus look at the, at the end of the day, 
there's been a lot of crappy situations. I mean, you know, look at Al Davis at the end. Sure. There are only 32 head coaching jobs in the world uh, in professional football. And uh, people take them. I mean, look at Brian Flores when he went down to Miami. That place was a dumpster fire. Um, the people just want head coaching jobs and they will take it. And as long as they think something of Nick Casario, which I'm sure they do because he has a sterling reputation around the league, he's going to be able to attract talent. And the, as far as new England and the fresh pers- perspective, uh, we, you know, we talked about that. Um, you can say that, do they need, you could talk about need and what they need to do and should do and personnel and all that. And you could talk about it till you're blue in the face. It doesn't matter. It's Bill Belichick. Like, it's it's all him. So it's whatever he thinks, whatever he wants to do. It, it, it's 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 just a wasteful energy talking about it because it ain't gonna happen because it's Bill Belichick. It's his personnel department. He's gonna run it. He's gonna pick the players. He's gonna run his schemes, and that's the end of it. So it doesn't really matter until he's out. There will be no fresh perspective. It's just Bill. Maybe hopefully altering his ways a little bit here and there to make them more effective. Okay. And then, so you, you don't think that, that, that it, again, we did talk about it. Bill's ultimately making the call. What you want in there is just a guy that can kind of parry with him a little bit. You would like, you would like him to listen a little bit more, be a little bit involved more and have a guy who's going to speak up and say, no, Bill, we need to do this. Like, yeah. I understand you're hearing this. This is, you know, I, I, I prepared this to counter your argument. And before we right. leave, I do think we should tick through the playoff games real quick. Yeah. Well, and, and, and anticipate you have to uh, anticipate the Nikhil Harry decision and have 12 counterpoints ready to yep. go for why not to take Nikhil Harry. Yep. Uh, so again, this is going to be a lightning round here yep. uh, for uh, uh, betonline.ag, and I'm going to pull up the spreads here. We're going to rip through the playoff games here, and you said some big spreads. Let's start with uh, the AFC East representative in the playoffs, Bills minus six over the Colts. Yeah, I think this is the toughest draw that the Bills could have gotten. Um, uh, they're very good on defense. Uh, are they good enough to – I mean, basically you need to play the, the Bills like the Patriots have, which is you need to take care of Stephon Diggs, and you need to take care of uh, Cole Beasley on third downs. Now, Beasley's dealing with an injury. That could be a factor. Um, I think this is going to be a really tough game for the Cole, uh, for the Bills. I, you know, I don't even know if they win this game. I think it's the type of if they win this game, they could go to the Super Bowl. It's either boom or bust. Either right. they lose this game or they go to the Super Bowl. One or the other. I don't know where. You know, I'm not the biggest bandwagon guy on Josh Allen. I still think a team like the Colts could really uh, press him and be an issue, but I'm going to, I'm going to take the Colts and the points in this one bills might squeak it out, but I think it's going to be a tough grinded out game. All right, let's stay in the AFC. We're moving over to Sunday's slate of games, Baltimore, Tennessee Ravens favored by three and a half. Yeah. Rematch. Um, rematch here. I think, I think, I think people are sleeping on the Ravens. I think, they, they had that stretch where they lost four or five, and they, people kind of put them on the back burner and didn't really pay attention. They weren't on national television very much. But I think they kind of figured some things out, and I think I think they went through a lull at the right time. I think they're peaking at the right time. I think Lamar Jackson gets his first playoff victory. They might win this game going away. Baltimore's number one on the ground. Tennessee's number one in rushing. Uh, that should be a really good matchup. But I think I think Lamar's figured some things out. And I think the Ravens win that game. Okay, Browns Steelers. Uh, we've got uh, Steelers by six. These teams just faced off last week in a game that Pittsburgh played no one, and it was way closer than it probably should have been. Yeah. Now, now you have the Browns with their COVID. And the Browns have all their COVID situations. Who the hell knows at this point? But I'm no going. Coach. Yeah. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna believe in the Steelers and what they did in the second half last week, and the Browns just being. Uh, you know, in a, yeah, in a tough shape. So I'm going to go, you know, Steelers, I'm going to, I'm going to take the points. Okay. NFC. Let's start with our man, Tom eight and a half, uh, against the WFT, uh, on the road. That's a lot of points for me. I mean, look, I know Washington's not great and who knows what they're going to be doing at quarterback. They're talking about playing two or three or whatever. And, and, but uh, you know, Tom Brady, a lot like Josh Allen this year, has not been pressured a lot in the second half of the season. 
And and if he's comfortable, he'll beat anybody and they'll win going away. But if Washington can get pressure on Brady, if they can hit him early and get him <laughs> a little bit sped up, Mike Evans is hurt. They have some other injuries. I think this is going to be a struggle, and I like Washington to cover the points. Yeah, and again, cover the points is one thing. If you like it, if you're looking for that upset uh, and you think it's possible on the money line here, 335, it's an interesting uh, yep. interesting bet there if you're looking for some value. Um, let's go Bears. Actually, let's stay with – let's go back to Saturday. Stay with the Saturday slate here. Uh, Rams and Seahawks playing at 440 on Saturday. Uh, we've yeah, the got Rams the Rams, are- the Seahawks three and a half. Yeah, the Rams are another team that I think people are sleeping on, and I wasn't a big fan of them early on in the season. Basically, the they they only beat the NFC East early, but they've been playing good ball, and I've been impressed with McVay. Uh, again, it's another pressure thing within you know, the Seahawks. Have been playing better defense. Their their offense has been struggling. Right. You're basically if you take the Seahawks in this, you believe in Russell Wilson more than Jared Goff, which I totally understand because I do. But I don't know. I got I, the Rams are sort of my underdog of the NFC, where, where I could see them going on a run like like the Ravens, and so uh, I'm going to take the I'm going to take the underdog Rams in this one. They could go on a run, or they could score six points in in in, in, yep. in one game. It's a it's a tough team to figure out. Um, Sunday's NFC game is the last game on our slate. Uh, this is a biggest biggest point spread out there. Saints ten and a half. 10 and a half over the bears uh bears plus 395 on the money line here yeah I, that that is a lot of points and and we've seen how shaky the saints can be in the postseason and you know michael thomas apparently is at full health hasn't played in forever like i he's great but i him being plug and play and all of a sudden them being high powered uh i have a I have a tough time seeing that. Um, you know, the Bears have been playing really well of late. They're good on defense. I think they definitely keep this one close. And and the Saints might, who knows, they could choke this game away the way they, they do things in the postseason. Yeah. And uh, the Alvin Kamara situation also, um, right now, they expect him back. Is that what we're looking at? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Eligible to return. He's eligible to return off the COVID list. Might not practice. Probably going to play is uh, is what we're looking at there. So, um, okay. Well, that will wrap up uh, this uh, week's slate of games. It's a fun weekend. Um, strange for the Patriots not to be a part of it. Uh, six games all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday with the added round and only that one buy. So it is a, there's a lot of football coming up this weekend. We'll talk about the games um, when Nick is back. I'm sure you guys will wrap up. Uh, the weekend uh, on your next podcast next week. Um, But until then, as we said, rate, review, subscribe, do all of that. The Greg Bedard Patriots podcast, of course, betonline.ag, our sponsor. Uh, Jump on there, CLNS50, use the code 50% off your initial deposit. Tons of action this weekend. It's a good time to get in the mix. For Greg Bedard, I'm John Zanis filling in for Nick Cattles. We will see you guys next week. (laughs) 